the Fertility Podcast, is here to help you understand more about your fertility and for the last eight years has published a lot of conversations with experts and people sharing their stories. It's now going back to its roots, giving you people's lived experiences once again to give you comfort in knowing there's a community of people who get it so you find commonality, be inspired and know you're not alone. Started by me, Natalie Silverman, a former patient, once I was pregnant after fertility treatment, I later joined forces with Kate Davis, an independent fertility nurse consultant, who is now your host. And here she is. Hi, how are you? Now, I know that if you're listening to this podcast because you're going through a fertility journey currently, then the answer to that question might not always be good and it might be that actually things aren't great thanks Kate or to coin the name of a very popular podcast terrible but thanks for asking so I do appreciate that and I hope that this podcast continues to bring you some support um, and advice and information to help you move along with a little bit of sanity that's what I'm here for So last week, it was National Fertility Awareness Week, and I don't know whether you got involved with anything that was going on. There was quite a lot happening on social media. And our national charity, Fertility Network UK, have got some fantastic webinars that have been available. And if you've not seen them, then do go and check them out. They've had webinars on the impact of the cost of living on fertility patients, Um, which has seen some startling figures from a survey that they've recently um, published. They also did discussing ethnic minorities and fertility and health inequalities, which is a really interesting listen. And then the lovely Jessica Hepburn, who's a a friend of the podcast, uh, she did a webinar about uh, the power of adventure to change your life for the better. Um, So you can hear all about what, uh, what Jessica has been up to. Um, and there's also nutrition for well-being as well and LGBTQ plus fertility support. So there's so much going on. So do go and um, book book onto one of those if you haven't already and um, have a listen. They should all be available for you. Oh, there's also a fireside chat I see as well, um, which is great. And I think that's talking about fertility in the workplace. So something that we know a lot about. Oh, and there's a yoga. I've just found a yoga afternoon reset. Fabulous. So there's lots of stuff out there. So go and check it out. We are delighted that this episode of the Fertility Podcast is sponsored by our friends at One Day Tests. Whether you're thinking about starting a family or are already trying to conceive, getting a blood test can be a really powerful tool to support you on your fertility journey. And let's face it, we all know that it's a journey that could be fraught with challenges and uncertainty. However, doing a blood test is really straightforward and everything you need is in the box. I've just done one and it's so simple. You press the lancet firmly down on your fingertip and gently massage your finger to allow the drops of blood to collect in the collection tube. Then you pop it back in the post. It's so simple. And getting a blood test done with one day tests can really help shed a light on things that can affect your fertility, such as your egg reserve levels, hormone imbalances, and other possible issues, for example, PCOS. More importantly, fertility blood tests can give you the insight to what you need and can empower you to take the most impactful next steps in your fertility journey. It will really help you take the guesswork out. 
One-day tests offer a large range of fertility-related blood tests for both men and women at really affordable prices. It's super flexible and can customise your test and have it done at one of their nine clinic locations. Or if you're far away, don't worry, you can do it in the comfort of your own home using their home testing kits. Results are returned quickly with an easy to understand description, which you can access online and download to share with your healthcare practitioner. So to find out more, visit onedaytests.com and you as a podcast listener can get a 10% discount by entering the code TFP10. So thank you to One Day Tests. They're really giving you the power to manage your health and your fertility. So what are we talking about today? So I'm delighted that today I'm going to be joined by um, a chap called Frank Fallon. And Frank is joining me talking about male factor infertility. As you know, we really try on the podcast to cover all different topics and something that has been really important to Natalie and myself and Natalie particularly since she set up the podcast nine years ago is that we talk about male factor infertility as well so we make sure that we every now and again we'll put information about that out there so that's what we're talking about this week and Frank is sharing his story of struggling to conceive and his incredible quest to get answers as well so I hope you find this useful and enjoy listening to Frank let's bring him in hi Frank welcome to the fertility podcast Okay, lovely to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're very welcome. And, you know, I'm always keen to talk about male fertility factor. It's so important that we cover that topic and we've covered it in the past, but I still think there's so much room for more conversation. So thank you for coming on. It's great to chat to you. So I want to get started by you telling us your story, telling us how you first started in this roller coaster that is a fertility journey so the floor is yours yeah thank you so my partner and I uh, we were trying for around nine months um, so we had been together for eight years had conversations around you know starting a family felt at the time that it was a conversation that just could be answered like want to start a family go okay we will start a family after around six months we started to find out that it wasn't you know it wasn't happening as easy as we thought it might and uh, we had friends that were going through a similar kind of process at the time that had mentioned calling up their GP and being told that they couldn't have an appointment for 18 months. So we actually called up our GPs and sort of said, you know, can we come for a test and said that we've been trying for longer than we had. Mm. And, you know, it was then I went in really confident, as I'm sure, you know, lots of men would think it's not their problem. I really wanted to go just to kind of rule it out both my partner and I went along and yeah unfortunately I found out that male infertility was the reason that we weren't getting pregnant and um, was kind of told in the situation it was kind of a I got sent my results and then had a conversation with a person with a doctor about two weeks after so I was sitting with my results on paper not understanding what it was you know what what the issues were unless I googled anything and how did that feel Frank it was really it was really frustrating, but at the time, I remember sort of, I, I wanted to wait. I knew the consultation was two weeks ahead, but my partner was reading up online and we were actually sat out for dinner in Anandos and she asked how I felt about my results being so low. Yeah. And I asked her what she meant 
Um, and I said, you know, I was waiting to speak to the doctor, hoping that they might give me some encouragement, they might give me some good advice and guidance. And so I felt really low, like it completely ruined the <laughs> ruined our night out. But I just felt kind of shell shocked. And it was really difficult for me to process. And I've got to admit, like once I spoke to the doctor, that didn't help in any way at all either. They just sort of said, you're not likely to conceive naturally. You can continue trying, but we would very much encourage you to go down the route of IVF. And what were your results, Frank? Can you remember? So I had uh, low sperm and low motility. So mm-hmm. the numbers wise, I had 0.7 mil of um, sperm oh. and my motility was under 40%. Okay. And the doctor sort of said, you know, from these results, and obviously some people do get results back that they have no sperm at all. So in some ways, you know, that that would have been good good to know, but they sort of said, you know, these results were so low that you know you're unlikely to conceive naturally did they do another test for you at that point no at that point they just said um you know we'd like like you to we'll book you in an appointment for with a doctor to start the process of IVF um and actually I'm yeah I'm now kind of still trying from that moment to to get my results because at the time I remember asking you know well what what is it what's the reason and they said there could be many different reasons as to why, but we're unlikely ever to find out as well. So it wasn't just the result. It was just obviously hearing at the time I was the reason we couldn't get pregnant and I wasn't ever going to find out the reason why, what had happened mm. um, for me not to have as much sperm as someone who was going to start a family needed. And that's so frustrating, isn't it? Because I can't think of any other medical situation where it wouldn't be investigated further to find the cause of a poor test result, you know, and and that's something that we see commonly all the time with male factor is that you're told, okay, this is the result, but actually we're not going to find out anything or what as to why this could be. Now, admittedly, there are, as you were rightly said, told, there are some times when it's not possible to find out the reason. But I firmly believe that we should investigate more. And we've had a number of chats on uh, the podcast with urologists and andrologists who also believe that we should be investigating male factor fertility further. So that's so frustrating. So I can understand you've got that sudden diagnosis and then the blame that you inevitably carry yourself, along with the frustration of not understanding why. At the time, I think we were so stressed through trying for a baby and and not conceiving. And it was having a a real bearing on us, you know, and and that difficulty and not seeing a kind of light at the end of the tunnel as such. And I think then to have all of that, you know, you just want to know, okay, what can we do to put it right? And I think so I was sitting with the fact that this was me, male infertility, that was the reason we weren't going to be able to conceive or have a baby of our own. And then also not having a clue as to why. And I think I felt, and now I'm still processing, I think it's quite a traumatic experience to go through. It is trauma in a way. You're kind of grieving something that, you, you know, you've not, you're not able to have. But I think that whole um, process now I'm looking at it as kind of like big feelings of guilt, big feelings of shame. And the biggest part of it is not really having anybody to talk to. At that point, yeah. they didn't say, go and have a look on here, go to this website. You know, you can find out more by speaking to somebody in the community what I got told was we'll set you up with an IVF appointment and that was it and it 
that I didn't have friends to speak to. I didn't have family to speak to unless I really made an effort and I was, you know, processing all those feelings. It was just a really isolated experience, even though it was obviously me and my partner that were going through it. So what did you do? You know, obviously you took it on yourself to find out more information. You took it on yourself to find that support. What avenues of support did you find? I took the advice of the doctor and both my partner and I started to look at appointments for IVF. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until much later that I started to read into some of the issues, some of the other men that had experienced different reasons for infertility, that I continued to seek information and investigate further. But at the time we just looked, we really wanted to start a family. So we, it was going through COVID at the time, it was 2021. So we took the decision that we were going to look private um, for our IVF treatment based on the fact that we were worried that some of the NHS appointments might be cancelled or not go ahead because it wouldn't be priority. And we were fortunate enough at the time to have kind of family that said they would be able to help financially. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to do it on our own. Mm. And then because of all of that stress and desperation to start a family, we went through that process relatively quickly. Fortunately, we were successful on our first cycle, which I know is not the kind of thing that others can sometimes experience and then I started to really look back and think and reflect on my situation that we had you know been successful we had a bit of time I started to look into it and then I started to kind of see that there was a community out there that kind of could offer support and guidance as well. So what gave you that motivation because often when people are successful then that's a chapter in their life that they decide maybe because it is so traumatic and painful to to put aside and, and don't follow through with understanding more and looking for the avenues of support. What what made you feel that you still wanted to do that? Was that unresolved trauma or was it just an interest? What made you decide on that? I think part of, so I work in mental health. I work for a small mental health charity that supports people to get back into work. And I think to, to get somebody, to support somebody back into work, you have to put all of the pieces together so it might not be their unemployment and their mental health issue. There might be other areas that kind of need to be resolved as well. So we link things in the community. So I think my thought process was there would be a reason as to why. And if there was any way that we could kind of find out that answer, I wanted to, like you say, unresolved trauma. Like I, I was going to live with that forever. And, you know, although we were lucky and I look, I wouldn't change it now. I wouldn't go back and want to change it now because we've been blessed with our, our twins. And that story is kind of, you know, the impact of that has created this. So I, I wouldn't want to change it in any way. But I think it's just that part of there was definitely an issue and I wanted to find out what it was. And part of the kind of, yeah, the, the process of me to recover from that experience and to feel like I could kind of put that issue to one side led me to want to find out more answers and I think part of my way of overcoming it was writing about that issue writing about my situation and speaking to more people about it hence why I wanted to come on this podcast to share my experience and I think part of it it was finding out that lots of people get sent away lots of people kind of speak to somebody from within the NHS or privately and get told something they don't want to hear and, and don't get the answer and I thought if there was any way that I could kind of chase something up continue to push continue to knock on doors that that would hopefully give somebody else a kind of opportunity to do the same yeah absolutely and you know in in recent years there are more and more men like you that are talking um 
in the last series before our summer break, we talked to Sean Nakanakas. Um, we've talked to Kevin Button. We've over the years we've done a lot on the two podcasts, as I mentioned earlier, about male factor. But we are definitely seeing that more and more men are coming together to talk. And and when you mention about mental health, and I often think about the benefits of the pandemic and definitely us talking about mental health is something that we're doing more of as a result of the mental health issues that people experienced during the pandemic so a definite benefit but what have I mean are you still on a quest for answers where are you now so my first semen analysis was in August 2021 which as I said was already earlier than you know if we had got sent back I would have been waiting a further further nine months to be able to go but we had said to the GP we wanted kind of quick answers and we said that we'd been trying for longer so August 2021 I spoke to the GP and had my first analysis and then I continued to follow up we had had IVF um, that year we started in January 2022 successful and found out in March that, that we were pregnant so then my twins were born in July 2022 a funny story we only transferred one embryo because we had the chat that we didn't want twins it would be you know too much like hard work (laughs) and it splits we found out early on that it split and we had we had twins which again is is kind of people would say like you yourself you know you've got two why would you want why would you want any more but I continued to push and actually I had a testy uh, my um, ultrasound for my testes on the 3rd of April well, I'd gone back in, I think it was October 2022. So the twins were born in July. They were sort of four or five months old. And the doctor at the time said, we haven't seen or spoken to you for over a year. Really sorry for the delay. I'd had all sorts of cancelled appointments. And he said, has anything happened since? And I was like, well, yeah, we've been through a private, successful private round of IVF. I've got twins. And he was a bit shell-shocked. But he then said to me, what tests have you had? And through IVF, I'd had some blood tests, the chromosomal testings as well, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the semen analysis. But he asked, had you not had a, a testy test? Because one thing mm-hmm. with this, with infertility, is it could be linked to cancer. Mm-hmm. So I didn't find out until that April, um, or, or just before the April, that you know there's this test that you should have just in case the infertility is caused by cancer. And he you know, then got me that test result um or got me that test and the test results came back that I had a four mil four millimeter varicocele mm. on my left testicle mm. and I was actually speaking to somebody else from test him limited um Ian Stones and I was speaking to him and he said anything above two millimeters is you know is is not normal mm. and my result had come back that that four millimeter varicocele was normal so I continued again to chase up to ask after I spoke to Ian again I would have just said fine if I hadn't but speaking to somebody else I chased them up and they said look we'd love you know we'll get you back in because actually although my colleague has put down normal we should take another look at it um, and see so again it's all these things of it's if it's just left yeah you're not going to get anything else like they, they would have just left it as that that test results come back It's so easy to leave it, isn't it? Because you're exhausted. You know, you, this is you pushing for everything and it's exhausting to have to do that. But once you start having the ability to advocate for yourself and for you finding out all that information, going to different avenues to find that information, it makes you feel more informed and you can then start pushing. Because we know with a varicocele, 
if you have varicocele surgery, if your varicocele fits into that category, then you can have spontaneous improvement in your fertility. It's that that good, but we don't do many varicocele looked, repairs. Uh, so I don't normally Google, so as I said before, but this time around I Googled what a varicocele does, what it means, etc. And I read up that the point of operation to recovery takes around three to four months. And as I said, that kind of first sperm analysis and then getting sent through to IVF mm. was around four to five months. So actually, I could have gone for that operation it could mm. have been resolved and we could have started to con- try to conceive naturally again mm. had it been successful. And I think that's the challenge. Like you say, it's a lot of yeah. time, a lot of effort. But also every yeah. time I'm pushing, I'm getting my hopes slightly up that I might figure out the answer as to why and I might be able to resolve it. And there's no reason to say that, you know, it might come back that, yes, that is a big varicocele, but ultimately not what is causing my infertility. And so it's it's a constant kind of balance. But I think now I'm, I'm so far into it, it's like so close to an answer. It'd be lovely. And, you know, at the moment, we're not ready to to think about anymore because the twins are a handful. But who knows in two or three years time, whether we feel like we might want to mm-hmm. and uh, we might be able to conceive naturally. Yeah, which would be amazing, isn't it? Are you finding because obviously often when people have children there is a reluctance then for the medical profession to really want to help you because they will perceive that you've got children and therefore wrongly that they're not the help isn't as available have you found barriers as a result of that or have you found that they've actually been quite open no I I think that they have well I say no but actually the appointments are getting further apart the and I have to do a lot more chasing in between so I think from being you know not a priority to even further down now that they know that you know I have twins um so waiting on my test result and then speaking to another doctor I've not heard back for another appointment that's been over three months since I had that conversation in June so I think there's definitely an element where I'm now not going to get anything and and I think in some ways again I have to you know there's there's people out there which don't have children which I would hope would be getting these appointments before me definitely um but yeah i think you know it 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 does become a bit of a postcode lottery you know i know there's lots of different things with ivf now that we've had children we won't be able to go on the nhs again um and other such things and i think yeah we've we've got embryos that are saved we had some extra embryos that were frozen um but it definitely becomes more difficult and more challenging once you've had or been successful and have children certainly well, certainly, you know, talking to you, Frank, you're a great example of what I always try to instill in my patients is the ability to advocate for yourself, to get as much information as you can and just keep pushing. So thank you so much for sharing that. Before I let you go, a couple of things. Firstly, if you could have your time again, what would you either do differently or what piece of advice could you give to somebody in your situation way back then? What would you say? I think if I knew now what I know, I think I would have pushed back on IVF for both my partner and I until I'd had a number of results. Um, And I would have inquired how much they were, um, you know, whether I could do any of those on the NHS. Like I say, if if it was varicocele, if I'd pushed for a testy test back then and, and, and we had gone through with that, we would have paid less for a operation. Um, yeah. to improve the varicocele or take away the varicocele so Absolutely. that would definitely be something is were there any more tests that I could have done in those investigations before going to IVF 
But I think before all of that would just be reaching out at the time. It was very difficult. As I mentioned, it was I was isolated. But had I spoken to Kev, had I messaged Sean at the time, I would have found out a lot more of the him fertility and other male fertility groups on Facebook. I would have known a bit more about what I could have asked for in some of those appointments. Great. So it's finding out as much as you possibly can about the tests that are available to you and making sure that you reach out for the support to get the help and information that you need. Brilliant. And lastly, then, where can people find you? Because I know you're really open to talking to people through social media. So where can people reach out to you? So I've got a website and I've got an Insta page on Beta Twin Dad. So I write blogs around this infertility process, also um, going through IVF and then premature twins. So hopefully, you know, something for everybody. But I'm also working with um, Kevin Button or Man Cave and Gareth, Pretty Fly XXY um, on our Insta lives for the M&M show, which is male infertility and mental health uh, and other things in between. So hopefully people can get a kind of, we want to open up the space and make it talking about it, um, talking about male infertility, normal. Um, so there's a bit of banter on there and kind of hopefully a, a nice space for people to hear about you know similar issues that they may well be going through. Love it. And I love that there's a bit of banter because that's always, you know, we, we can, even though this is a serious subject, it doesn't matter if we put a little bit of humour in it, does it? So The difficulty that I had speaking about this issue, I spoke to two friends in confidence um, individually, so I didn't open it up to the group. Um, I spoke to two friends and they were really positive and kind of helped me through. But the easiest thing, I, I took a, such a huge time talking to my dad and my brother about it and mentioning it. Um, but the easiest thing that I had, I did a comedy for thought course, which was a six week learn comedy course. And I actually like the first thing that came to my head was this whole process, you know, um, the, the male infertility issue, low sperm. I made a joke about it and the kind of then IVF and the issues around IVF. And I performed that in front of 40 to 50 people and got a really positive reaction. But I found that so much easier talking about it and highlighting my issues in kind of one-liners uh, and a bit of a laugh. So I do think, although it's obviously different for everybody, I do think finding a space where you can kind of joke about it is such a frustrating, horrible experience that actually if you can just see a funny side of it, um, it can really, I certainly found it really helpful for me. Yeah, I agree. Laughter is um, good medicine for sure. Thank you, Frank. We'll put all of the um, information on where people can find you and all the great work that you're doing on the show notes. Um, So hopefully you'll get some people getting in touch. Thank you so much for sharing your story. That's been really inspirational, particularly around the things that you would advise for anyone else to do who's in your situation. So thank you so much for sharing that. Thank you so much. And thank you very much for having me. It was a great pleasure. Oh, big thanks to Frank for sharing his story. As I said at the very beginning, it's so important that we talk about male fertility issues more. So it was great to hear Frank um, explaining everything that went on with him. And I thought it was really interesting when he talks about his feelings of feeling super confident about his own fertility as they went into the doctor's surgery and then being completely blindsided by the news that everything wasn't as he thought. And I think there's still this perception, isn't there, that fertility is a women's issue and even though we now know that male factor infertility accounts for exactly half of the issues with fertility I still feel that there's it's still not necessarily known and I talk many times to women who really feel that the problem lies with them perhaps at the very beginning of their fertility journey and don't consider that actually 
that sperm needs to be healthy too. So there is still this perception that it's a women's issue. Um, so it's really interesting hearing Frank talk about that. And also his experiences of not being offered further investigations. And again, that's something so common these days that, you know, men should be treated, they should be investigated, should get the treatment, we should try and resolve if we can. And there are some fertility issues, male fertility issues that can be resolved, and we should try and do that, but we're not. So an interesting podcast for sure. And I'm going to link some other uh, podcasts in the show notes where we've talked about male factor infertility, if you would like to hear more. But on that very note, a little bit of a shout out for a very new podcast that has just been launched by a friend of the podcast, Sean, aka Knackered Knackers. And you'll know that we've had Sean on the podcast before talking about his experience with male factor infertility and he has joined forces with Kieran Hannington and they have brought you the male fertility podcast great name guys so it says exactly what it is so if you haven't listened and tuned in to Sean and Kieran's uh, podcast yet then please go ahead and do so because it's going to be definitely worth a listen and we're all about sharing the love on the fertility podcast so congratulations guys it's great that you have launched this podcast and we wish you all the very best and huge success anyway We will be back in two weeks' time with another episode, so listen out for it then. Bye for now. Please do rate and review the podcast as it's brilliant for other people to know what you think. Even just hitting follow or subscribe wherever you're listening to this podcast really helps other people know it's worth a listen. Also follow Kate on her Insta, which is Your Fertility Nurse. And if you'd like to book in a consultation with Kate to understand more about your fertility and reproductive health, visit yourfertilityjourney.com.